All right, well, let's pray. We're going to pray for the word. We're going to pray for the offering uh, because uh, Joshua didn't get a chance to do that. And then we're going to get into the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We do lift up Hamza and Annie to you as well. We thank you for divine appointments that you place on our lives. I pray, Lord, for, I pray for Hamza that he would come to know you. The Lord, as he continues to read your word, that Lord, you would soften and open his heart and his eyes. Lord, we pray for our offering this morning, Lord, that you would use it for your kingdom and for your glory, uh, for the furtherance of the things that spread the gospel, the radio ministry, the ministries that take place here on campus. Lord, we also want to pray for our time in the word this morning. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, and I'm going to tie my shoe before I trip over it. Because <laughs> all I need now is to be on America's Funniest Home Videos or something. <laughs> all right. So we're in the book of Revelation. Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. It is the only book in the Bible that actually has a divine outline within it. In Revelation 1.19, it says that things which were which are, and things which are to come. We know the things which were is chapter one. They already existed. We see Jesus in heaven. We know that Jesus is no longer hanging on a cross. He's no longer a baby in a manger. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And we saw him in his glorified body. The things which are, we saw in chapter two and chapter three, known as the what? The church age. Chapter two and chapter three, we see the letters to the seven churches. And we see that, the church is mentioned 19 times. Now, the things which are to come, the things after this, the word there in original language is metatauta, the things after these things. So after the church age, we see in chapter four, verse one, that John is called up to the presence of God and he gets a heavenly perspective on the rest of the book of Revelation. In chapter four and five, we have a heavenly view of what's taking place. We see that Again, the throne of God, the focal point is the throne, surrounded by 24 elders. We're going to talk more about them this morning. A rainbow around the Lord, the promises of God, God's presence, chapter 4 and 5. We get to chapter 6, moving forward. Now we see the righteous judgment of God. From chapter 6 to chapter 19. And it is the righteous judgment of God upon a Christ-rejecting sinful and wicked people. So the judgment of God is upon those who reject him, who do not want to have a relationship with him. When we get to chapter 20, we'll see the second coming of Christ when he comes back with his church. We will spend seven years in heaven with the Lord. And again, it's so awesome because in Jewish tradition of marriage, the husband would go away and prepare a place. And when the place was ready, he would send a forerunner to let him know that he was coming. He would come back for his bride. They would go away for seven days alone together and then come back and have a marriage feast. We're going to go away with the, our, our, you know, we're the bride of Christ with the Lord in heaven for seven years. At the end of the tribulation, we will come back with him, the second coming of Christ. And then we will have a thousand year reign on earth with God on the throne, Satan chained up. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So there's the book of Revelation. I'm going to do that every week, and I'm going to do that because a year from now, if someone asks you about Revelation, my prayer is you can remember that. Amen? That you will just, it'll be just taken in. We need, we need to be, we need to have 
uh, repetition to remember. So Revelation 11, if you were here last week, the first 14 verses, I titled the message, In the End, God Wins. Amen? And we looked at the fact that everything is lining up for the Lord's soon return. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good in the last days. Then we'll call good evil and evil good. And boy, we're living in the middle of that. Amen? Secondly, we don't just go witnessing. We are witnesses. We saw the two witnesses. And we saw their example of them proclaiming the truth. We saw them uh, for uh, three and a half years preaching with boldness. Then they get killed by the Antichrist himself. They fall over on, on, and dead for three and a half days. And then what happens? They get back up. Now, remember when it was written, it said everyone in the world would see. Everybody mocked that till about 40 years ago. And now everybody has a cell phone in their pocket. And when something happens in Jerusalem, the whole world will see it. We then saw life is about finishing the work God has given you, and we're called to finish strong. Whatever amount of days we have on this planet, whatever, whether it's 50 years or 50 minutes, we want to use that for the kingdom of God and for his glory. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people, and we want to see people saved. And so, then finally, there will be times when it looks like the enemy is winning, but fear not, in the end, God wins. So that was last week, and it looks like the enemy is winning sometimes. And, and again, we do know that we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We shouldn't be surprised when the world is living according to their own fleshly desires, because it's a battle that we all face until we surrender our lives to the Lord. Now, if you have the outline for this morning, grab it. So this morning, we're only going to look at five verses. And the reason is, we're going to look at heavenly worship. And, and we're going to see what's happening in heaven while all of the tribulation is taking place on earth. We're coming to the point this morning, we're, we're three and a half years in, we're probably past the abomination of desolation. This is where we're going to have the seventh trumpet, and there are going to be all the bold judgments, and it's going to make everything that's happened before this look like a picnic. So it's going to get really heavy. The judgment is coming. And when people see this in the Bible, people struggle with it. What kind of God would judge? Well, guess what? An only a holy God would judge. An unholy God would let it slide. Amen? God must judge sin because he is holy. But he desires that none should perish, no, not one. But at the same time, as he suffers long, he won't suffer always. So here's the three points we're going to look at. Heavenly worship lessons we can learn from worshipers in heaven. Number one, rejoicing in anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. Praising God not only for what he's done, but what he's going to do. Jesus Christ is coming back. We can praise him for that right now. Amen? We're going to rule and reign with him on the, world, on the earth for a thousand years. We can praise him for that right now. We can praise him for his promises and the things which are to come, not just with the things that have already been done. Know that because he's fulfilled prophecy and been faithful to fulfill the promises in the past, he will fulfill prophecy and his promises in the future. Number two, worshiping the Lord from a place of total surrender. I think in the church today, we've lost this for the most part. We worship God. And again, however we worship him, praise the Lord, worship him. But have we ever truly, fully and completely surrendered to the Lord in our worship? We're going to see in the text this morning, the 24 elders, that every time they worship, they fall on their face before God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in the presence of Almighty God? 
What is it going to be like to see Jesus face to face? To be in a place where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, and the perfection of his glory, and we're going to be there? And you know what? How can they not fall on their face? Now, I will say that in my lifetime, I have fallen on my face many times in prayer and worship, but not as much as I should. I'm not worried as much about the position as I am coming to that place of reverence and surrender fully to the Lord in worship. Often when we pray and when we worship, we almost come with our list to tell God what we want. And if we're not careful, we can make it about us. And that's why worship is so important that the focus is all on him. To him alone be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And as you've heard me say many times, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so fully surrendering to the Lord. And when you begin to praise and thank the Lord, you are brought to a place of intimacy and fellowship and relationship. If you don't like to worship, I'm worried about where your walk is. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to praise him without ceasing. And the closer I get to the Lord, the more I want to worship him. The closer I get to the Lord, the more time I spend in prayer. I'm not satisfied with an hour and a half a week of Jesus. I want him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time, fully surrendered to him, walking in intimate fellowship with him. Again, we're married to Jesus, right? And we're the bride of Christ. If you only spend an hour and a half a week with your spouse... Your marriage would not survive. Amen? And by the way, married couples fellowship. Pastor Brent, he was a pastor at Calvary Chapel Oxnard for seven years. He's been a part of our fellowship for several years. I'm really excited about it. I will be going. Again, there will be food there. No cost to you guys. You want to make a donation, you can. Just come. If you're married, come. Okay? We want you to come and be blessed. Thirdly, our worship should focus on who God is and all that he's done. Praise and worship from a heart of thankfulness. Do we, have, do we have anything to thank God for? What's the answer? I mean, we cannot thank him enough. It should just be constantly thanking the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? And with that heart of thankfulness, thank him for who he is, all he's done, and for all of his promises. Secondly, praise and worship him from ho- for his holiness and righteousness. You know what? Every other leader that has ever existed and every other religion that's ever been are led by sinful people, amen? But we serve a righteous, holy, faithful, and just God, amen? And because he is holy, we should praise him for his holiness. And then thirdly on there, I put praise and worship him because he never changes. Aren't you glad? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. He is a faithful God. This is why when we pray, we're not praying to change God's mind, but to change our hearts, because he'll never change his mind, because he's never been wrong. Amen? And he's perfect and holy and righteous and faithful. So let's begin there, looking at heavenly worship. First off, we're going to see rejoicing in anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. So the last verse we read, it says, the second woe is coming. The seventh trumpet is about to be blown. And now all this righteous judgment is going to be coming upon the earth through which the people that have rejected God will be judged, but there will be opportunities for people to get saved. So what does the worship sound like in heaven in anticipation of that seventh trumpet blowing? What are they doing as they hear this and they see this in anticipation of it? Look at verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, 
And there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. See, to them, the righteous judgment is coming, but they know what the end result is going to be. The kingdoms of this world are going away. Satan is going to be defeated. And the kingdom of the Lord will be coming to earth. And eventually it does come on the second coming of Christ when we will rule and reign with him forever. You know what that tells me in heaven? They know what's coming. And I love that. Amen? And they're in heaven. They know what's coming. They hear that second trumpet blow and they get excited. They're praising God. They're rejoicing over the fact that the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of this world is coming to an end. And the kingdom of God is coming to take its place. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? I'm longing for the day when there's no more Republicans or Democrats or independents. Amen? There's no more what gender am I? There's no more what, where do I live? I, no, no nationalities. We're just all believers. We're new creations in Christ. We're spending time in the presence of Almighty God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more saying goodbye to the people that we love. Amen? And we'll be around his throne forevermore. And these guys are excited because the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of this world first, though, must end. And for the kingdom of the world to end, the righteous judgment of God must come. And so when we look at the righteous judgment of God, we need to recognize that, again, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. He desires that we would all come to a saving knowledge of who he is. But for those who continue to reject the Lord and shake their fists at God and say they want nothing to do with him, as they continue to reject him, they will make a choice for themselves as to where they spend eternity. It's kind of joking, but we all talk about it, right? Heaven or hell, eternity, smoking or non-smoking, amen? We want to be in the presence of Almighty God and have a relationship with him. So the seventh seal back in Revelation 8 brought profound silence. They just were in awe of what was about to take place. And now at the seventh trumpet, they're rejoicing because the kingdom of God is near. And they're excited about what is about to take place on the earth. It produced an immediate response, expressing joy and exhilaration at what was about to take place, celebratory rejoicing that the power of Satan is going to be forever broken and Jesus Christ will reign supreme as King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, it hasn't happened yet, but they're cheering already. It's kind of like reminds me of an election where you see someone get elected. They're not taking office for four months after the election, but the people are cheering anyway. And people cheer for their team when they win a game. And guys, there's nothing that should make us rejoice more than the fact that there's a day coming soon when we're in the presence of Almighty God forever and ever and ever. Amen? We're going to heaven, and heaven is better. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. With the defeat of the devil and all of his followers, the question of the sovereignty over the world will forever be settled. Do you remember that Satan tried to sell earth to God, to Jesus? Do you remember that? Remember when his public ministry began? After he was baptized, he went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. 
And that's when Satan shows up. And by the way, Satan loves to show up when you're at your weakest moment. He loves to show up when you're in the greatest trial, greatest difficulty, when something's hard in your life and he wants to come and he wants to tempt you to draw you away from God. Well, it says this in, in Luke, then the devil taking him up from on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all of it will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. So he tried to give get Jesus to take earth on his terms. And what we're going to see in the coming chapters is Jesus is going to take the world on his terms. It's not going to be something that Satan gives him. And by the way, the Bible tells us that Satan is a prince of the power of the air. We talked about earlier that when they were handed the scroll that everybody wept because no one could open it. And it was the, you know, the ownership papers of earth. And Jesus is the one who's opening it. And we've gone seal by seal, and now we're at that seventh trumpet, and the judgment is coming. And so he's taking earth away. Now, could Satan have been ruler of this world if the Lord didn't let him? What's the answer? See, absolutely not. So even the fact that he's a ruler of this world, he's a prince of the power of the air, again, it's not because God is not strong enough for him. God has allowed it to happen, and every one of us must make a choice. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to serve? And guys, here's the reality. If you're not following the Lord, you're following the enemy. You know, you got you to serve somebody. Amen? No decision is it. Oh, I haven't decided. Well, if you're standing on a train track and you haven't decided whether or not you're going to get off, what happens? You get hit by the train. Can I get an amen? When it comes to Jesus, you can't just say, well, I just haven't made up my mind. Then you're against him. You're either for him or you're against him. I didn't come to church for this. I got invited. I didn't know any idea. I just thought someone said it was really a bunch of nice people over there. What the heck? Here's the reality. We're teaching through the book of Revelation, guys. And the revelation, remember, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypsis. It's the unveiling of him. So as we study through these books, we're getting to know Jesus better. And that's the whole point of studying the book of Revelation. Jesus is going to take the earth on his terms. Satan, again, is the ruler of this fallen world, but only because of the sinfulness of man when they were deceived by Satan in the garden and God's permissive will. See, before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, people walked in the cool of the day. They could talk, Adam and Eve, they could talk directly to God. They were, they were naked and unashamed because there was no sin. And they just, you know, nothing died on the planet. Nothing. No plants died. No animals died. Nothing died. And they just lived and walked and had an intimate fellowship with God. And then sin came. And what does sin do? It separates us. And as I told uh, Hamza on the plane, that sin is an archery term. The distance between perfection and where the arrow lands. And we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark because Jesus is perfection. Whether you missed the mark by a mile or, or 10,000 miles, we've all missed the mark. So we are all sinners. We have not achieved perfection. Though. But while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us and redeemed us. We might have intimate fellowship with him. But because they sinned in the garden, in the garden, it was, you can do anything you want. Don't touch that one tree. And we all say, those idiots, look what they did to us. We all would have done it eventually, amen? Doesn't even tell us in the Bible how long it lasted. I don't think it lasted long. 
But you know what it is? Satan comes and says, he knows if you take of that, you're going to be just like him. And isn't it our pride that always drives us to our sin? Amen? You can be like God. And so the Lord, because of what Satan did, the world has dealt with sin ever since. Sin, sorrow, death, suffering. It's all because of choices we've made. None of this is God's fault. Nothing is ever God's fault. It's our fault. Amen? How could a loving God allow this? No, how could sinful man keep doing this? Amen? We need to repent and get right with God and serve him. So the heavens loud and thunderous rejoicing is a response to the fact that the long rebellion of the world against God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is about to come to an end. And the setting up of our Savior's long-awaited kingdom is about to be ushered in. The wicked will be judged. Satan and all who follow him will be defeated. And in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? says there in that verse, have become the kingdoms of our Lord. The word in Greek there is a verb that says have become. It indicates the absolute certainty of Jesus coming to reign even before it was accomplished. Now here's one of the things I shared, some of the things I shared with Hamza on the plane, I'll share with you. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that he fulfills. And when I talk to people about the Bible, well, the Bible is mistranslated. Really, where is it mistranslated? I would hub it up. The, the, the Bible is filled with contradictions. Great, show me one. Hub and hub it up. They always love to say what they're going to say. So here's what I always tell them Do you know that the Bible has been proven historically, archaeologically, and prophetically? Amen. And let me just give you some prophecies. Let me give you a few right now. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. That was written in Isaiah 7, 14, about 700 years before Jesus came, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Hosea 11, when Israel was, was I, it says, when Israel was, I loved him, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt, it says that the Messiah will come. We know that they're talking about what happened again in the past, but it's fulfilled in Matthew 2.15, because remember when they were killing all the babies, they fled where? Egypt. And out of Egypt, Jesus came, fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. He is humbled and mounted on a donkey. That's fulfilled in Matthew 21, verses one through five. That's the triumphal entry. When he came into Jerusalem for Passion Week, we call that Palm Sunday. Now, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I want you to know that I have seven pages that look like this, all filled with 356 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. That's our God, Amen. Let me give you a few. I'll tell you two chapters to look at if you want to look at prophecy. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. When I talk to a Jewish person, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. They both talk about the crucifixion in great detail over 700 years before crucifixion ever took place. Here's a few. It says in Psalm 22, he'll be forsaken because of the sin of others. He'll quote, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Fulfilled in Matthew 27. Darkness upon Calvary for three hours. Says that in Psalm 22, fulfilled in Matthew 27. He trusted in God, let him deliver him, mocking God. If you're God, come on down from your cause. Again, prophesied in Psalm 22, fulfilled in Matthew 27. Said, they seek his death. 
Matthew 22, fulfilled in John 19. Suffered agony at Calvary, Psalm 22, fulfilled in Mark 15. They pierced his hands and his feet, Psalm 22, fulfilled in John 19 and 20. Stripped him before the stairs of men, Psalm 22, fulfilled in Luke 23. He committed himself to God, Again, fulfilled in Luke 24. Satanic power, bruising the Redeemer's heel. It's in he- fulfilled in Hebrews 2.14. His resurrection, and he will be resurrected, says in Psalm 22, fulfilled in John 20. It is finished. Psalm 22, fulfilled in John 19. Guys, I could sit up here and do this for the next hour and a half, and I wouldn't even be able to quote them all. And what I'm trying to tell you, we don't believe in spite of the evidence. Amen? prophetically, Jesus Christ alone is God. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? Just a few out of Isaiah 53. Tells us, again, he would be resurrected and live forever. That God was fully satisfied with this suffering. That he would be a servant who would justify sinful man. That he would be the sin bearer of all mankind. That he existed by God because of his sacrifice. He would give up his life to save mankind. He would be numbered with the transgressors. He hung on the cross with two thieves. He would be the sin bearer of all mankind. He would intercede to God on behalf, behalf of mankind. And he would be resurrected. Guys, that's our king. Amen? That's our God. He fulfilled them all. I love talking to people. Again, I love talking to people that come to my door and I'll just ask them, how many prophecies did Joseph Smith fulfill? How many prophecies did Muhammad fulfill? Show me some. How many prophecies? And sometimes they'll try to pull something out of the Bible about Joseph Smith and no, amen. Our God is God and we can trust it. He's fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, so to absolute certainty that Jesus will fulfill the prophecies found here. When we read the prophecies in Revelation, we can look to the 300 prophecies he's fulfilled and know he's going to fulfill these two. Because everything that he says he's going to do, he has done. And the things that are yet to be done that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, we know he's going to do as well. Notice the kingdoms of this world in that verse. To understand this, we need to understand the history of the kingdoms of this world. Originally, God created man to rule over the world in the garden. When man sinned in the garden of Eden, Satan became the king. Jesus called Satan the prince of the world. And again, he was the one. And then Jesus came and made an offering for us. It says in Luke chapter 4, the devil took him up. He shows him, as we just talked about, And the Lord, he said, I'll give you the kingdoms, but Jesus is the one who came and again will triumph over Satan as we will see in the book of Revelation, as we continue through the book of Revelation. So with the seventh seal, there were seven trumpets. And within the seven trumpets, we're going to see seven bold judgments. And we're going to see that chronologically, the Antichrist will reveal himself as evil incarnate somewhere around this point that we are in the text. The world will, will get has to get to the real Armageddon, which hasn't taken place yet. If you go to Israel with us, we will stand up on Mount Carmel. We'll teach about Elijah. We will look down on the greatest, most awesome place that is so perfect for a battle. And it's called Har-Megiddo, where we get the term Armageddon. And when we stand there and look down upon it, we're going to be coming back there with the Lord at his second coming. And the, ba- the battle that's taking place, they're going to turn to fight against the Lord. And I think I know who's going to win that one. Amen? We're going to see the victory that takes place. He shall reign forever and ever. It says at the end of that verse, guys, 
How can there be such joy when the king is not reigning completely yet? At the headquarters of a successful, again, political campaign, there is joy knowing that they're going to reign. Guys, God is not reigning in a sense yet. He's allowing it to Satan to reign over this world. But we know that he's coming. Amen? And so we can rejoice in spite of all that's going on around us to know again that in the end, God wins. And God is faithful and we can trust in him. To point number one there, rejoicing in anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. All of heaven was rejoicing when they heard this. Not because of what was happening on the earth in that moment, but they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. Point number two, worshiping the Lord from a place of total surrender. Now watch these 24 elders. Now keep in mind these elders are not angels. They are men who had lived on the earth and then died and now are around the throne of God. And watch what it says about these elders. Says, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. To me, this is a sign of mature worship. These elders are not just talking about age, but again, a level of spiritual maturity when they were here. And now they're in heaven. They've been made perfect. They're in the presence of Almighty God. And when you see them worshiping, you see almost always, let me just read them to you, Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. The Bible talks about when we live for the Lord here, then we'll receive crowns when we get to heaven. Notice what they do with their crowns. They cast him before the Lord. That's where casting crowns gets their name if you listen to Christian music. Revelation 5, now when they had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Revelation 5, 14, and the four living creatures said, amen. There it is right there. It's in the Bible. Amen. And 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. In Revelation 7, the angels stood around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Revelation 19, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne singing, amen and hallelujah. Lord, bring us to a place of total surrender where we will fall down on our faces before God. Amen? It's only our pride that keeps us from being there. It's the things that we allow to get in between us and the Lord. And we need to come to that place of full surrender. And I will confess in my own life, you know when I usually come to full surrender? When I'm desperate. The times that I can tell you for sure that I've been on my face is times when I was troubled about one of my sons, when someone was struggling, when I didn't know where they were, when I was worried about them. It would drive me to a place of laying on my face in my bedroom and just crying out to God. But you know what? My, my heart is that I need to be there when everything's great. I need to be there always. Amen? And too often our worship is just kind of, we kind of phone it in. We sing the songs we've sang before. We lift the same words that we've always sang. And I want to encourage you, worship more. One of the reasons I love my car, I bought my car because of the sound system. No other, I used to drive 50,000 miles a year for my job, and I got in it, and it's, it's got a Rolls-Royce sound system. So I get in this car, and, it's play, and I'm like, I'm playing Christian music in my car, and I don't care if the drive's five hours. I don't care, because I'm hanging out with Jesus, amen? 
and entering into his presence and it just doesn't get any better. How many have ever been in a place where you're worshiping and you don't want to leave? It's just, right, a lot of times it's at a retreat. There's no distractions. There's no, nobody's looking at their watch. What time brunch is? We're going to be late. You know, none of that. And just being in God's presence and fully surrendering to him. And these, these elders, because they've been in God's presence, they can't do it. Every time you see them, they're on their face. They're falling on their faces before God because there's such awe and reverence of being in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Guys, I can't wait to get there. How about you? They fell in their presence when they were close to his presence. How close are you to the Lord? Is he just a faraway God that you think about from time to time, especially in times of desperation and need, or do you walk in intimate fellowship with him? Is the Lord near you or is he far away? You're as close to God as you want to be. Amen? If you want to be close to the Lord, you can be. That's, if you're not close, who moved? Amen? So we need to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. He's never far away. If we're far from God, it's not God's fault, it's ours. It says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We draw near to God through prayer, worship, by studying and obeying the word of God, by being in fellowship with other believers and obedience is the highest form of worship. Guys, I remember being in Russia and this, we were handing out Bibles on a street corner and the Russian Orthodox priest came out and started chastising us. And then the, the, uh, interpreter who was in her 80s came over and he was screaming at us that we shouldn't be handing out Bibles. And then he, he said, you know, the problem with you Christians is you think that God is near you, but we're just a little speck in the universe and God is so far and distant away. He has no time for us. And the interpreter, God bless her. She's got to be in heaven by now. That was 30 years ago when she was 80 back then. But here's what she said, and I loved it. I've never forgotten it. She looked at the, the Russian Orthodox priest, and she said, one of the names in the Bible for God is Abba. And Abba means daddy. And daddy is never far away. And I was like, amen, 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 amen. She said, daddy, you can crawl up into his lap. And he always welcomes you. And he will always be there to hug you and to hold you and to care for you and watch over you. He'll never take his eyes off of you. Man, I was just tears. I'm like, amen. And guys, our God is not far away. Amen? He's Abba. Do you have intimate fellowship with the Lord? When was the last time you literally crawled up into his lap in that sense, right? Drew near to the Lord and spent time in his presence. See, guys, we don't just want to have the get out of hell free card put in our wallet, go live like the world. We don't want to have saved souls and wasted lives. We want to walk in intimate fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because, guys, it'll transform your life. And there's nothing better than hanging out with Jesus. Amen? There's just nothing better. Nothing compares. By the way, anybody watch the Oklahoma softball team? That's my new favorite team forever. They interviewed four girls as to why they were so successful. And they all praised Jesus like nothing I've ever seen. They pointed to the Lord. It's all about him. Softball means nothing. God would let us win so we could tell all of you about Jesus. And I was like, man, I love these guys. Amen? Because guys... Walking with Jesus is better than winning the softball World Series. 
Walking with Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. That thing you're striving for, again, having a good job, working hard, doing those things that are done to the Lord. We should absolutely do that. But your flesh is never going to be satisfied. And the only thing that will ever satisfy is walking in the center of God's will and having an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? There's just nothing better. Nothing else compares. Thank you, Jesus. He's Abba. Point number three. Our worship should focus on who God is and all that he has done. Now, I want to watch some things that we can learn about how we worship and how we pray. And we'll see this here, right here. Well, look what it says in verse 17. Saying, so they're worshiping God. This is their worship. We give you thanks, O Lord. So this thanksgiving isn't for what he has already done but for what he's about to do. They were rejoicing because they said, hey, the trumpet is blown, which means it's coming. The final judgment is coming. Satan's leadership is coming to an end and God is going to rule and reign and God's kingdom is going to be established on the earth. And they're thanking God for what he's going to do, not just what he's already done. Now, we certainly have enough to thank him for, for what he's done, but we can thank God for what he's going to do. Amen? And notice, this is in their heart of worship. He's, gonna, he's fulfilling the promises he's already made, in this case, to judge the wicked, those who have rejected Jesus and his free gift of salvation, and to reward those who have faithfully followed and served the Lord. In both our prayer and worship, we should thank and praise God, not only for who he is, but what he has done and what he is going to do. Can I encourage you to start your prayers with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Thank you. And then recognize him for who he is. You are the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And every time you hear me pray a prayer, that's why I start. You know why? Because I think the focus of our prayer is should never be us and should always be him. Amen? So when you start off with your prayer, acknowledging him, speaking of him, focused on him, thanking him for all that he's done, all of a sudden these little things we were going to bring to the Lord aren't quite that big a deal. Amen? And we know that God can answer our prayer because of who he is. Amen? So I want to encourage you, and that's what these guys are doing. They're beginning their prayer. They're in heaven. They have, they're, they're around the throne of Almighty God. They've seen Jesus face to face. They've been in his presence. How do they pray? We give you thanks. They thank and praise him for his promises. Thank you, Lord, that you promised in your word. You know, what are some of his promises? That when I close my eyes on earth, I'm going to open them up in glory. Amen? Christians die well. Heaven's better. Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Guys, when you feel lonely, you need to know you're never alone because the Lord is always with you. Amen? That you are faithful and in control. That in times when I am anxious and fearful, that the peace of God will guard my heart. That in my times of trials and testing, you will be with me and grow me spiritually through it. That, Lord, when I weep, you weep with me. That you will fight for me. That you promise to guide my every step, that in all things you will work them for your good and for your glory, that in your strength 
that your strength will be made perfect in our weakness. Guys, we can go through the promises of God, and as we thank him and we praise him for his promises, again, it's a reminder of all that God wants to do in us. Notice they say there, thank you, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. Again, the huge key key to worship and prayer is who are we praising and who are we praying to? Oh, I pray to the Spirit in the sky. I've told you in Santa Cruz, I was invited to this corporate prayer thing, and it was out in this football field, and the first two people were praying to the trees and nature and the Spirit in the sky, and I was, my head was about to explode. And so I came up after them, and I just said, everything you just heard was nonsense. We don't pray to trees. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And so if we don't pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we might as well be yelling down a well. Now let's pray. Can I get an amen to that? So it's who we pray to. People say, well, I pray all the time. Who are you praying to? That's always my response. Who are you praying to? They can even say, well, I'm praying to God. Which God is that? What's his name? Who is he? Amen? You don't just pray to, to, to God with no understanding of who God is. We're not just praying to pray. And God can use a 12-step program. I know he's used it in people's lives. But God is not a doorknob. He's not your higher power. His name is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to know who we're praying to. And notice right off the bat, we give thanks, oh, Lord God Almighty. That's who we're praying to. He's the, and by the way, he's not kind of mighty. He's almighty. Lord God Almighty, the word Lord there is Kyrie, and it means master, supreme authority. The word God, uh, theos, supreme div- divinity and deity, almighty, ruler of all, ruler of the universe, almighty God, king of kings. That's our God, Amen. And that's who we pray to. So when we're praying, the audience who we're praying to is what matters more than anything else. And he should be the focus of our prayer, the focus of our worship. The one that we're worshiping is him. Amen? Praying to our master, the supreme authority, the supreme divinity, the only true and living God, the ruler of all, our great, awesome, all-knowing, all-powerful, true and living God. Then it says, they say this, the one who is and who was and who is to come. My favorite worship song is the Revelation song because it's sang in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's right out of the Bible. They're singing it in heaven. And notice when they address the Lord, they say he's the Lord, he's God, he's almighty, he's the one who was and is and is to come. He was in that he, was, he existed in eternity past. When did God start? He never did. Can I get an amen to that? Does it not give you a headache to go, well, 500 billion years ago, where he was there? Well, where was he before? He was there. Where, he's always been there. And people get upset because they're like, that's not possible. You want your head to explode more? He created time and space. So he existed when there's no time and no space. So what's there when there's no time or space? God, Amen. That's our God. That's who we serve. We panic when stuff happens in this world. He's outside of time and space. He's God over everything. He always has been. 
He is in that he, he is, that and he exists now and for all eternity future. And the third time this phrase is used, this way of expressing God's eternity. Because, praise God for that. And then notice it says there, because you have taken your great power and reign. They're praising him. You have taken. It signifies the permanence of God's sovereign rule. And again, he will always be in charge. And what they're talking about in context is that he's coming to rule and reign upon the earth. We already know that he's God, he's sovereign, and he's in control. But he's allowed Satan to rule and reign on the earth. And they're thanking him and praising him for what he's about to do because he's going to come to earth. He's going to wipe out the enemy. He's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. And again, for a thousand years, we'll have the millennial kingdom when we will rule and reign with the Lord and God will be on the throne. And praise God, I can't wait. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and all that in it that it contains. It all belongs to the Lord. Jesus reigns in absolute power and authority over the earth. Jesus is the one who will reign. Verse 18 says, the nations were angry. Your wrath has come in the time of the dead. They should be judged and that you should reward your servants and prophets and saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and you shall destroy those who destroy the earth. The nations were angry. Do you think the world's going to be happy when Jesus is taken over? They're not. Do they hate God now? What's the answer? And they want to rule and reign themselves. But the seventh trumpet reveals that no longer afraid, the unrepentant nations were now defiant. Remember before, they were hiding in holes. But by the time we get to this point, they're going to go from hiding to being angry. They're going to be mad at God. And you meet people like that. I'm mad at God. I, I did this and he didn't give me what I wanted. You know what? We missed two plane flights and God knew what he was doing. Can I get amen to that? And too often we tell God and we judge God and we tell God what he's going to do. And we think that we're in charge and there's an anger that comes. I witnessed to some people, they're angry about God. And that's what we're going to see in the last days. They're going to go from time of fear to a time of anger and shaking their fists at God. At the righteous judgment of God coming upon those who have rejected Christ. In Luke 19, 4, it says, we will not have this man rule over us. Well, yeah, you will. Amen. Like so many today who have listened to the lie of the enemy and the unrepentant world that God will never punish the wicked, that there's no such thing as sin, that it will never have to be dealt with. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And he is a righteous and holy God who must judge sin. Amen? It says in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds into pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits on the throne shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress in them will bring deep displeasure. God's responding to the anger of the nations that rage and righteous judgment is coming. Notice they say there, not only do the nations rage and are angry, but your wrath has come. Now, the wrath of God, I want you to know, and I, this is my own definition, so don't, just, I didn't get this out of a dictionary, but I, 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 this is a definition I've had for like 20 years for the wrath of God. It is a holy and consistent reaction that is contrary to the nature and the will of God. See, when we think of wrath, we think of out of control, face red, steam coming out of your ears, 
and the veins in your neck popping out five inches. Ah! At least that's how we see wrath, right? The wrath of God is a holy and consistent reaction. That which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. It's forceful. It's righteous. But again, it's not out of control because our God is always in control. Amen? God's punishment matches the crime. There's nothing arbitrary about it. The nations are angry with God, have rejected and shaken their fists at God, and he's going to respond with his wrath, with his righteous judgment. Tribulation period is the time of God's wrath. He will be giving the earth and its rebellious people what they deserve. How many of you guys want what you deserve? Ah, put those hands down. What do we all deserve? We all deserve hell. Again, I got invited to this church. I just thought of a bunch of nice people. Here's the reality. We all deserve hell. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Amen? We all deserve hell. If we stood before God with all of our sins in front of us, we've gotten, we're done. Amen? There's, there's no excuse. Here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he knows you best, he loves you most. He was willing to suffer and die in your place so you might have eternal life. See, we deserve hell, but because of God's grace, we get heaven. Amen? We get rewarded as if we lived his life because he was willing to take the punishment as if he lived ours. That's a great God that we serve. Amen? So we deserve, we, we don't want what we deserve. Reject God's grace and you will receive righteous judgment. Notice it says there next, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. Now, what does that mean? No one will escape the righteous judgment of God. Nobody. It says in Hebrews 9, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. In Revelation 20, we'll see the great white throne judgment where all who have rejected the Lord have chosen to live according to the flesh, to reject the work of redemption on the cross of Calvary, to hold on to their sin rather than repent and be forgiven, will be judged by God and cast into the eternal torment in hell. Let me read it to you. Then I saw, this is Revelation 20, a white throne, and him who, a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which he had written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who's not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Is that pretty correct? Pretty direct? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do you know? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Amen? But we're going to get to Revelation 20 and we're going to see this righteous judgment take place. Notice it says there, and that you should reward your servants and your prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. So there's going to be righteous judgment for the unbelievers, and there's going to be rewards for those who believe. While some will be judged to eternal judgment, there will be others who will receive rewards for what they've done in their lives. While salvation is a free gift, it is not something that we earn or deserve, for by grace you've been saved through faith, 
Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Well, salvation is a gift, faith without works is dead. Good works are not a source of salvation, but they are the fruit of it. Amen? God gives us gifts as believers, and he will reward us if we are faithful to use the gifts he has given us. I was going to read it. I don't have time. Go to Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. You guys remember that? And he gave some one talent, one two talent, one five talents, and one with five talents went out and worked and brought back five more. The one with two talents went out and worked, brought two more. The one with one talent buried it in the, in the sand. And then when the Lord came back, he handed it back to him. And he said he should have invested it, at least got interest. Guys, you all have talents. What are you doing with them? If you buried them in the sand, are you using them for the Lord? Amen? Again, it's not faith or works, or faith plus works is faith that works. And then he says, and you should destroy those that destroy the earth. This is not talking about those that pollute the environment. Should we be good stewards of the earth? What's the answer? We should. But global warming is not something we should be worried about. It's eternal warming, especially if you don't know God. Amen? But those that pollute the earth with their sin. The earth in creation was created, again, perfect, corrupted by sin. It says in Romans, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts and dishonored their bodies among themselves, who changed the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. That's Romans 1, 24 and 25. Guys, we don't worship creation. We worship the creator. Amen. Worshiping creation, mother earth, the environment while polluting it with our sin. Again, it's not global warming, it's eternal warming. Last verse. Then the temple of God opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there was lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes and great hail. We know the ark of the covenant. Most of you only know about the ark of the covenant because you watch the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? <laughs> but the ark of the covenant is a box, not a boat, and it was, it was a symbol of the throne of God. When they were traveling through the wilderness in the tabernacle, God's presence was above the, the tabernacle, right? Where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark of the Covenant had on it its mercy seat. We know within the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, again, and jar of manna. He's the bread of life. He's the great high priest, and he is the word. Amen. Do you know that the Ark of the Covenant has disappeared since 586 BC? It was not around in the time of Jesus, Ark's gone, been gone, hasn't been there, and now we know where it is. It's in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And so, again, when Jesus died on the cross, we don't need the temple anymore. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In heaven, the ark is there. And notice what it says. As again, the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of the covenant was seen. And notice the lightnings, the noise, the thunderings, the earthquake, the great hail. All I could think about, again, God never changes all I could think about was Mount Sinai. The, you know, the lightnings and the thunderings, the presence of God man, comes with some effects, amen? And, and, when, and when they saw it all and then they heard his voice, the voice of, you know, many waters and it's coming out like thundering voice that comes out. And what did all the people do in the wilderness? They ran away. And they told Moses, dude, you go talk to him. I ain't talking to him. You go talk to him. Why? Because our God is almighty and all powerful, Amen. And when he speaks, everybody knows it. And guess what? It's coming again. We serve a great and awesome God. Amen? So in closing, I went over a couple minutes. Who sets the time anyway? Who decides what time we quit? 
Who made that up? I did. I'll change it. What did I mean? So heavenly worship. Lessons we can learn from the worshipers in heaven. Rejoicing in anticipation of what the Lord's going to do. We can rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? We can rejoice in the fact that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. We can rejoice in the fact that Satan is going to be defeated. Amen? Praise God. Secondly, worshiping the Lord from a place of total surrender. Can I encourage all of you, if you've never done it, it's not about the position. It really isn't. But you know what? Try laying on your face and praying. Try laying on your face and worshiping. You know what it does? It keeps your focus off of everything else and puts it only on him. I can't lay on my face in my car, but I love to be in my car and just worship him. Spend time alone with him. And then finally, our worship should focus on who God is and all that he has done. As we worship and as we pray, it should never be about us. It should always be about him. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you're coming back. You're going to rule and reign forever. We thank you, Lord, that you've adopted us into your family, that we're new creations in you. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Again, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life fully to the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that, to confess your sin openly before men, to say, look, I, I, I know I'm a sinner and I need to surrender my life to Jesus. The word there is to repent. Repent means that you're headed in one direction where you're on the throne of your life and it's all about you. And you come to a place of recognizing that you're a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And you turn your life around and you say, you know what, Lord, I wanna surrender my life to you, not just make you savior, but Lord of my life. I wanna take myself off the throne and put you there because you know what's best for me, because you love me, because you died for me. I'm ready to surrender my life to you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord. I want you to just raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Anybody. Anybody at all. Or love you so much you'd rather die than live without you. Anybody. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand.